everybody to bounce off the world's number one slam ball podcast worldwide where we are going to be recapping the very first games of the brand new 2023 summer series six live from las vegas nevada my name is sam roberts you can follow me on social media at quantum roberts that's q u a n t u m roberts where we can talk all things slam ball i was really excited to be live tweeting last night slam ball goings on and then posting an Instagram photo when I was finally going to bed at 5.30 my time. But it was all worth it to now be awake and talking to you at about 9.50, <laughs> not that long after, and um, getting to go through every single game with you today. But for now, the headlines. The mob runs this league. Tony Crosby the second is more than just a gimmick. The stars are yet to shine, and Ty McGee might already need to get off of the wrath. This is the bounce off, this is bounce off, and this is our very first episode talking about the 2023 season. As I mentioned, we're going to go through every single game, and because we're going through every single game, we're going to be able to talk about every single team. As we go through the remainder of the season, it's looking likely that uh, each night will only be four teams playing. The way that the league is structured is that it's, um, se it's series, or sessions, however you want to call it, where two teams play, then another two teams play, then the winning two teams face each other in a third game of the night, right? Um, for those of you who are curious about how this is going to affect the league in terms of um, playoff seeding, it's going to be based on win percentage. Um, I put it out on Twitter that the reason that the way they're doing it might balance things out a little bit is that if you're winning a lot of games, right, you're winning a lot of the first games at least, you're getting more opportunities in the second games to either continue winning and, and, and maintain your winning percentage, increase it even, uh, but you're also getting an opportunity to decrease other teams' winning percentage by beating them in those second games, right? But if you're playing twice a night when other teams aren't because they're not as good, you're going to get tired faster. And then when you come up against those teams that are losing more often than not and are more rested and haven't played as much, they might get a win or two and it'll balance out the league a little bit more. So I think this is an element of parity. But last night, night one, Slam Ball made the decision we're going to have six games on the night. We're going to see all eight teams perform. And we started with the oldest rivalry in Slam Ball. If you're watching or listening to me now and you haven't seen any of the highlights or you haven't watched the games and you're planning to, this is going to be spoiler heavy. Um, but it's it's live sports. That's kind of the nature of these things. So we started with the oldest rivalry in Slam Ball. I call it the Celtics Lakers of Slam Ball. It was the Mob versus the Rumble. And my very first point off the top of this podcast, the thing that's in the, the title, the thing that's in the thumbnail, the mob run this league. The first game of the night was the absolute dog walk. It was 70-37 to 37 for the mob, right? Big, big scoreline. Um, the first thing you're going to notice is that the mob are very well coached. They play a lot of passing through the island. The island is the strip of court you can stand on in between the four trampolines underneath the basket hoop. Uh, in slam ball and they play a lot of motion and movement off of that island um, basically you get the the handler or one of the distributing smaller players who will run up get themselves situated on the island where you're allowed to stand for three seconds and then have multiple teammates cutting off them coming from the other trampolines not just all from the top not all from the sides but a mixture of the two even sometimes cutting baseline, which is just another another concern for, for your defending stopper. And um, the mob do this better than any other team in the league. 
other teams we'll talk about are doing this, okay? It's not that the mob are the only team that are running this sort of this play action, right? But the difference is that these other teams are running it and they're doing it with maybe one option. And then if they are getting the opportunity to score, they're not making the pass. Versus the mob, who are doing it with multiple options, are making that pass, are making that opportunity. And even if they mess it up, they find alternative strategies. They know where to be and where to go to score if things don't quite go their way. They're also a very fast team. Anything that happens within their own half of the court, whether it be a break in play, whether they get scored on, whether it's a block at the rim from their stopper, Gage Smith, he's then immediately kicking the ball up the court to someone like Justin Holloway, Darius Clark, or Cam Horton. And these guys are the ones that are facilitating this fast offense. It might be that it goes to Horton, he's getting into the island, then he's making a pass or a play for one of his teammates. Could be Justin Holloway, could just be Darius Clark running straight to the other hoop. Because what they were particularly doing against the Rumble, that we'll talk about in a moment, is that the Rumble were, were taking away any defensive strength they had in order to play a very offense-heavy game, and it wasn't translating well enough for them. And so... The, the mob were able to really bully that with, with transition offense and a lot of speed. There was no one megastar on this team. I am likening it to, um, if, you, if you know basketball, I'm likening it to the 04 Detroit Pistons who won a championship with a team of guys who, many of them were excellent, many of them were all-stars, but none of them were, um, none of them were perceived as the guy because they had four the guys potentially and they all played their role and knew what they were there to do. And with the mob, you have a couple of guys who Darius Clark is an incredible scoring option. Cam Horton has already shown he can distribute the ball. Gage Smith might be the best stopper we've seen thus far, not necessarily from a physicality standpoint, but from literally every other facet of the game. And these guys, while they stand out, it's more about we're playing within our own team's style of play comparing that to other players who maybe um, are, are forced with the way their team plays to, to do a lot more personally, right? They're fast is what I'm saying. I mentioned there that Gage Smith has been huge, huge. And I think if you want to take one star away from this mob team, he's the guy you're looking at. The, the thing that you will not notice unless you are really focusing on it and you've become a nerd for this sport like me is that when you are the stopper position, the primary defender who waits underneath the basket for the offense to come to you, uh, a lot of that is about timing. A lot of that is about timing when you jump into the bottom trampoline to get in the way of defenders, right? Now, what Gage Smith did throughout the entire night is he wasn't jumping in straight away. He was keeping one foot on the edge of the trampoline, right, the island, one foot on there, one foot on the floor, and he was darting his head back and forth to anyone that was coming in his direction. And as soon as they made a, a, a move towards the rim, he was jumping into the bottom tramp. He wasn't necessarily going high, but he was just creating a presence that teams had to worry about. Right? His positioning outside trampoline, excellent. His awareness of who was coming from where, excellent. And then his timing, not necessarily to get to the same apex as the guys coming at him, because he did get dunked on a couple of times. But his timing to get into the bottom tramp in a way that totally disrupts the other team's offense because they all of a sudden 
don't want to be in that bottom tramp. They're worried about what he's going to do. They, they're not sure where they can cut from because the stopper is now in a position where he's just sort of biding his time, waiting for that one big bounce to get in the way. This, plus accurately timing when to enter the tramp, uh, is, is a big deterrent and is really uncomfortable for offences that are equally as uncomfortable in this new sport as maybe he is. He looked really confident out there in a lot of ways, uh, but a lot of guys didn't. Is that because no one's confident or is that because Gage Smith is making them uncomfortable, making them underconfident with his ability to get into the tramps at the perfect time? We'll see as they face more, more teams, but we'll get to game two and it was more of the same. The other facet of his game that I really want to touch on is the thing I mentioned earlier about quick distribution. Whatever happens within his own tramps, he's then making a direct pass out to one of his teammates and he's already facilitating the, the fast break offense. And if he's not facilitating that, he's sort of holding court from just inside his own tramp area, telling guys where to go, making a pass, running and setting a screen, which in, in, in basketball would be standing perfectly still and getting in the way of the defender. But in slam ball, you can sort of half push them. And he's doing that or faking doing that and then fading to the wide wing, which gives another passing option that the defense needs to worry about. And with all of this, he's still not really entering the opposition tramps very much. The only time he really was, was if he was getting a run up, making a quick score and then getting back defensively. Because as we will now talk about with the Rumble, teams that have a strategy of, well, we're going to bring our stopper up, we're going to bring our defensive guy up, he's going to be involved in the offense a lot and specifically in and around the opposition tramp area. Because stoppers are big guys, a lot of them are physical dudes and maybe there's, there's a temptation to sort of say, right, we want this guy to be part of the offense and punishing the other team's stopper so that we can we can really get at them. But the problem for the Rumble is that by bringing up uh, Bakari Copeland, their stopper, putting him as a central point of the offense, he's then getting blocked, or yes, he's scoring sometimes, but the ball is immediately whipped out by Gage Smith to one of the smaller players, the handlers and the gunners, and there's no one back there to stop them from getting dunks. So you end up with highlight plays that are open floor, fast break dunks with no defense that are worth three points. A dunk in slam ball is worth three points and it just builds on that. That's one element of their coaching that I was slightly concerned by. Coach Carter has not wowed me with his slam ball skills in game one. And of course, we've only seen game one of the Rumble because they got thumped, they don't get a game two. Um, they will be playing again this weekend. We'll see how they do then. But not only were they sort of making errors with, with where they were positioning their stopper, which was, which was um, damaging them transition defense-wise, but they were also just very disorganized defensively. There was a lot of tackles uh, against the mob as they were jumping into the trampolines, which once you've left your feet, any tackle against you is illegal. And in slam ball, the first of those each quarter leads to a face-off, which is a one-on-one -on -one drive to the basket, whoever got fouled versus the person does the fouling. But because you can't spend your whole time doing face-offs, the league's now got a thing called the bonus. So your first foul is face-off, uh, and it, the, the team who gets hit has an opportunity to score, and then they get the ball back anyway. But any subsequent foul, you're in the bonus. The first of those fouls is uh, two points to the team who gets fouled and they get possession back and they don't even need to work at it with a face-off. But any subsequent fouls to that, it's three points for the team that got fouled and they don't need to work at it for a face-off. 
And there was a point in the second quarter alone where the Rumble destroyed themselves because they gave away 11 points of bonus action, just in, in silly fouls defensively as players were coming into the tramp area. So the score automatically got bumped up by 11 because they're not being disciplined defensively. So you've got a, an interesting, or I should say bad, offensive strategy of bringing up your stopper and being very weak in transition for defense. And then you've got poor um, mentality defensively to st stay in front of guys without creating contact. And and that's just a recipe for disaster for the Rumble. And that's what led them to losing 70-35. They're still very big. They can still play physical. But they're still getting outrun, outgunned, and outcoached by the mob team. And that's worrying when the Rumble have one of the, the longest tenured coaches in the league with Coach Carter, who was there for the first three seasons. And so this is, this is a really bad sign for them. Game two of the night, we have the Slashers versus the Lava. The Slashers are the only other team that had already existed in prior seasons to slam ball versus the Lava, who had the first overall pick in the draft this year and I projected was going to be the best team in the league. Egg on my face so far with my predictions, guys. It's really hard to tell uh, when it comes to how players are going to be in slam ball. This is what I've learned. Uh, looking at college basketball highlights is not enough to determine what a good slam ball player makes, okay? And that's the immediate thing that I've found out from this new season, and I'm glad about that, right? I get to learn so much more, we get to learn so much more, and now that slam ball's back in our lives, I get to analyse what makes a good team, a bad team, and a good player, and we can go from there for future games and future seasons and future series even, perhaps, we'll see. But Slashers versus Lava, if you're going to go out of your way to watch one game, this would be the game to watch. It was incredibly close. It was 67-63 in the end. And it honestly could have gone either way. But some poor decision-making on the Lava's part in the last couple of minutes is what let them down here. The Slashers, meanwhile, I see them as, as a true one-man band, okay? They have the internet darling, Tony Crosby II, as their main guy. He is the smallest player in the league at five foot six. I think Nate Robinson, former NBA megastar who was also like on the shorter side, on commentary he was calling him something like Mighty Mount, but I obviously am more familiar with the concept of Mighty Mouse, you know, a small energetic guy who can do these incredible things, and that is definitely Tony Crosby II, this guy's got 40 inch vertical when he's not in trampolines, add that to the tramps, but the thing that you'll not notice um, just watching it casually is that He's also one of the most complete players at moving around the tramps without the ball, right? It's not just a size gimmick. He already looks as comfortable as some of the best handlers I've ever seen play the sport in and around the trampoline area. So you can move from tramp to tramp and to the island by a couple of different ways. You can bounce the ball off the backboard and get it back to yourself. You can dribble it off of wherever it is you're going to go, which means to bounce the ball off of that area. So when you're first entering the tramps, you can either just jump from the floor into the tramps and then you kind of need to go straight to the basket. Or you can bounce the ball off the tramp you're entering and sort of walk in. And then you have a decision whether to jump then into the, the, the stopper's tramp, the bottom tramp, or onto the island. And then again from that, you can bounce into any of the others. You could throw it off the backboard and then collect it. Or you can do a thing called freestyling, which is where you throw the ball into the air or down on the ground while going from tramp to tramp and then collecting it on the way back up, jump, jumping from the second trampoline. And that basically avoids um, a, a, 
a bad thing in slam ball, which is to go from trampling to trampling. That would be a turnover, right? Without that sort of movement. And Tony Crosby's got that down excellently. The way he sort of gets into the lane and moves with the ball in order to set himself up, but also to set his teammates up is is stellar. Okay. What a defense has to worry about because of this ability to move from Tony Crosby, because of his leaping ability, and as we then find out throughout this game because of his speed, they have to keep an eye on him. He is the biggest threat offensively for this team. But if he's not scoring, he's got drawing power. The defense is worried about him, so they're keeping an eye on him. His ability to freestyle, which is the throwing the ball in the air and catching it on the way back up, and also dribble around the tramp area and just move throughout the, the spring zone. That ability allows him to, to make a lot more decisions for his offense, to get out of the way of his teammates who might make cuts. And then he's also got tremendous passing ability and distribution. And that can set up his teammates. And that makes use of his ability to move around the court a bit more. Because then his teammates can come from different directions and he gets himself in a position to make that pass. So it's not just a... A gimmick of he's a small guy that can jump high, which is what we saw with Lu Feng in, in China. But it's a guy who can jump high, is small, and can also outpace most guys on the floor, and has a, an aptitude for the tramps that pretty much no one else in the league has. If he's not scoring, he's a draw for the defense, and that's a concern. The rest of the team did not wow me hugely. Amir Smith, their starting stopper, he does well at that position. He got some really good blocks. To the point that because of the uh, uh, Fessel Shafat, who is the stopper for the Lava, he had a, a very aggressive game. Amir Smith's not going to get as many headlines for his great stopper play, but he had it. He also contributed offensively at some points. As did Alonzo Scott, who can do some of the same things as Tony Crosby, but he's nowhere near as central to their offense, nor is he seemingly as comfortable or as good as Tony Crosby at making those decisions in and around the trap. So those are the two other guys to watch out for on this team. But it does a lot of times feel like the Crosby, the Tony Crosby show. Okay, the Crosby show would have been a really good way of putting that if things hadn't gone badly in the last 10 years, right? Um, the game really did come down to if the Lava could have executed uh, like defensive sets in the last minute and a half, which they failed to, um, and whether or not uh, Tony Crosby II could play hero ball and score for his team and distribute for his team and facilitate for his team in that last minute and a half. And guess what? That's what he did by scoring, by moving and by passing and drawing the defense. Mighty Mouse is going to be one of the hardest players to stop in this league. And it's not just purely on athleticism. It's on 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 understanding of the game and on movement of, of the slam ball, of the ball, of the basketball, whatever you want to say. Um, biggest takeaway definitely is that he is carrying this team. The Lava, who lost this game, they did do well throughout. And the reason I think this is a game worth watching is because both teams had some absolute yams of dunks, some major, major dunks on each other. Um, the Lava definitely have pieces. I was high on them going into the season. They were number one in my power rankings. I just don't know why they couldn't put it all together last night. Bryce Moraine, the first round pick, the guy who's been touted as maybe the most complete slam ball player we've seen, he scored the first three baskets for his team with, I think, a lay-in because of contact at the rim and then two really impressive dunks, one of which was, was we were talking about freestyling with Tony Crosby earlier. Um, 
you have Bryce Moraine able to freestyle into the bottom tramp and then get an incredible amount of height on it, a scary amount of height on his, on his own body to then finish at the rim with some aggression. And, and um, that, that is the, the big thing. Is he is, he's showing this aptitude. He just didn't take over the game uh, throughout. He did have some really good moments, but he wasn't the dominant player I was expecting him to be when that's how you're touted coming in. He has speed, he's comfortable in the tramps, uh, and he's comfortable getting into them from outside and holding his own around that area, but he wasn't taking over. I mentioned Fessel Shafat as their as their stopper, and credit to him, he put his story out on Instagram earlier. He he joined the league three weeks into training, three weeks before the season started, just asking for an opportunity. Brought in on a tryout, a guy who was an injury replacement for this team, and he's worked his way up to being the starting stopper, and he's done excellently. If you look at an old school style slam ball, the stopper is a big physical guy who's just making hits in the air. We talked about Gage Smith, which I would describe as like a finesse stopper, right? If we're gonna if we're gonna delineate a finesse stopper versus a physicality stopper. With the finesse stopper, it's all about um, understanding where defenses are coming from and disrupting the defense in different ways. Um, and with a, a physicality stopper, it's all about just making a play in the air and making it difficult for teams to get into the into the bucket. Uh, and both of these require great timing skills. That's the biggest thing for a stopper position. But if you look at Fessel Shafat, he was able to make a lot of difficult shots for the slashers, but they were still able to score them, right? This game ended 67-63, which means that the slashers had to score, you know, they scored a lot. They scored at least 22 dunks. Uh, and, and that meant that Hugo was letting them through, well, Fessel Shafat in some points, versus Gage Smith not letting in as many, and that was because he was disrupting in a different way. You're more than willing, more than capable of being a physical stopper. I think Fessel Shafat might be the best in the league right now, night one, but there are other ways to play the position, and right now, uh, thought and finesse is doing better than physicality. But the way he dominates, he does dominate from that position. Uh, the thing that scares me the most, I don't know if it's to do with the way his hands are wrapped, but he's the only guy I've seen palm the ball thus far. So he can, he can as soon as he's blocked it, he's just picking it up with one hand and throwing it as far as he can to his teammates, and that's good. No one on their team looked bad, and this is what I was saying about the Lava as we were previewing them. I felt like every player in the league, sorry, every player on the, on the Lava squad was able to contribute to their team in some way. And I was proving that last night. None of them looked bad. Every position can pass, especially in the air. And Greg Helt, who's a guy I was high on, he made some mistakes. He made some poor decisions, getting in the way of Shafat's defensive uh, prowess at points, um, making bad tackles. But he also showed that he can get up for dunks, be physical in the air. And the thing that I was looking at for him most, where he basically shot two of three from the four-point four range, one of them was taken away from him by a teammate who decided to catch it midair and dunk. The other one was, was a straight swish. Um, and so I think that that's something that he's definitely being asked to do and he is doing it. And thus far, he is the best three-point shooter we've seen in the league because no other team's wanting to take those shots. So the Lava are still exciting. They had the pass of the night with a behind-the-back from Nathaniel Harris to Paxton Henry in their own uh, offensive half, with a, which ended in a dunk. And that was beautiful to watch live. But um, they're, they're not... They need to put it together, right? They're, they've got the pieces, they just need to put it together. 
The third game of the night obviously was the winners of those previous two. So we had the Mob versus the Slashers and it was another route for the, the Mob. They won by 39 points with a score of 62 to 23. Crosby, yet again, is the man. But without much help and going up against a team that's excellent at disrupting defensively and so well coached at scoring the ball at the same time, it's just really, really, really difficult for them to do anything when it's when it's Mighty Mouse versus the world, right, in this instance. it's Mighty Mouse versus the mob is a comic book I would read, and unfortunately this is the issue where Mighty Mouse gets his ass kicked, but next week he might come back stronger. We'll have to wait and see. Um, in fact, I think that uh, Slashers and Mob are playing still again this weekend, so that'll be a nice rematch to, to have a look at when they've not already played a game each. Uh, will the mob win by more or will, in fact, Mighty Mouse dominate them because he knows how to play them now? The mob are just coached so beautifully. Justin Holloway and Cam Horton are great distributors. Gage Smith is an absolute killer from the back. Those multiple cuts coming from multiple angles are really, really dangerous. At one point in the game quite early on, it was 28-9. And if you're starting out with an initial run like that, it's, it's almost impossible for teams to come back unless they start hitting fours like crazy and, and you just or a, a sieve at the rim and letting in dunk so the mob are really hard to to deal with and like i said they're they're also able to under like make plays if things go wrong so um lamonica garrett was saying on commentary at one point uh this this team's so well coached they know exactly what to do and, and look at all the plays they're running that are perfect but as he was saying that the play that was happening on the floor was brandon simpson who i've touted as a potential all-star who kind of got lost in the shuffle in this first game but was still contributing massively. And this is an example of that. He was supposed to get a play on the basket. He bobbled the ball a little bit. He threw it out of the tramp area, collected it again, which is, which is what he's supposed to do. And then from behind the basket, he made a pass to a cutting player who was, who was running to the rim, which the stopper had to pay attention to Brandon Simpson. But he knew, right, I've messed up in this situation. I've got myself into a better position. And then his teammates knew, we need to cut here. We need to get to the basket and we need to be a passing option for Brandon. And it worked beautifully for them and it ended up with a score. And this is the biggest thing. The mob are coached beautifully. They know when to cut, but they also know how to fix mistakes that they've made on a play. And that's something that other teams just simply don't know how to do. They'll try and run an initial offensive set. They'll do that first cut off the island. And then if it doesn't work out for them, whoever's got the ball in their possession by and large seems to sort of panic with what to do, right? Crosby's an exception to that. He was really, really good, like I say. They're, they're almost making those great cuts, but they're also getting in each other's way down in the bottom tramp. And part of that was Gage Smith being disruptive again. So they were making those movements around the bottom tramp area, but then multiple players would be cutting there at the same time and you can't have two guys in the same tramp at the same time from the same team. And so they were immediately like, right, we need to move. We need to move again. And, and it, it just was totally disrupting their offensive flow. That might have been exhaustion. That might have been this is their second game and things still aren't 100% clicking. Or it could have been Gage Smith is, is the best defensive player in the league right now. For better or for worse, looking at the, fran the, the franchise, Bradley Laubacher is definitely their second distributive guy. I say better for us because he was doing some bits and pieces, but by and large, it was a lot of turnovers and he's definitely not as good at it as um, as Tony Crosby the second. But the slashers are better than I gave them credit for putting them eighth. Obviously, they won against the team I said was, was first in the league, but I don't know how long you can sustain a team that's built around one guy. 
Um, we talked about face-offs earlier. Face-offs were a mixed bag on the night. Uh, a lot of scoring, definitely a lot of scoring, but some stopping. And the, the key thing for most of them were if the offensive player goes quickly and can get into the tramps way before the defensive player can, can really get there, they're going to score. Okay, Darius Clark for the mob did it all night of just gunning straight to the tramp and, and making a play and getting into the, the hoop. And that was doing wonders for his team. But Tony Crosby II had a different strategy where he was sort of um, dribbling a little bit, walking slowly, and then bolting. And that's one of those things that is, is unique in this league right now and difficult. But if you look at historic game footage, the way to stop something like that, and hopefully someone listening takes my advice with this, if the stopper is confident or the defensive player is confident enough, just get into that bottom tramp quickly, hover, just bounce up and down, and then time that leap for the, for the final jump perfectly to get in his way and you should be able to stop him uh, but right now no one's worked out how to do that and that's how Crosby's scoring with with face-offs but his team ultimately lost because the mob the mob run the slam ball league and they're just too good they're too well coached they have too many options and Gage Smith is just too good defensively for them we move to the second session of the night and there's going to be less said about these ones um, partially because the, the mob were so impressive in the first couple games and Mighty Mouse was such a thrill to watch that when you get into these other four teams who are, by and large, a lot more physical, um, I found less to talk about. It was a lot of big hits, a lot of defensive plays, and low-scoring games, okay? So the Wrath and the Griffins faced off in the first game, and that ended 42-37. to 37. It felt like the Griffins were trying to run some stuff in the half-court, but they were really struggling with, with moving in time and they were wasting a lot of their 20-second shot clock just screaming at each other of where you where do you want me to go and so they weren't making anything off of that. Um, the, the best play they end up having was Adam Flash Stanford just running at the, the rim and, and trying to make a play in the air. He had one of the best contact dunks of the night that you can already see all over the slam ball like highlight reels, but it's not... Other than that, I've, the team was struggling in the half court. They're unafraid of contact, and that's one thing you can say about them. Neither team was was like, neither team was afraid of that, and both of them are going to be threats. Both the Wrath and the Griffins are going to be threats physically, but it it was it wasn't enough for them to get the win. And they had some very poor late game coaching decisions. Like we talked about the Lava earlier, they they tried they did foul. Tony Crosby the second late in the game, which leads to what's called a, a make it, uh, make it take it, face off, where he has to score on the face off to get possession of the ball back. If he doesn't, the defensive team gets possession, and that's sort of a way of trying to balance things out late game. The Lava did that, but they weren't able to stop him. The Griffins just didn't even do that. They they were closer to this game than you would think, and they didn't make that decision. They were down by. I think it was 42-34, right? So, eight points in it. There's a four-point line. Dunks are worth three. And their first-round pick, Justin Holmes, gets into the tramps and starts freestyling through the legs and stuff, just trying to score a three on his own, which is fine. Threes would have been useful at this point in time, but faster. You need to do it faster, and they weren't they weren't playing with intensity in the end. I liked the Griffins starting four. I liked every individual piece of their starting four, but I don't they I couldn't see them putting it together. And a lot of that is when you're watching their half court offensive sets. 
they are they are not comfortable with whatever they're supposed to be doing out there. That's the biggest thing. For the Wrath who ended up winning this game, I don't know how they did. Both of these teams to me were looking like we're, we're kind of physical, we can hit, but neither of them looked particularly confident. The one thing I'll say about the Wrath that they had that the, the Griffins didn't have is possibly the next most comfortable guy around the Tramps like versus Tony Crosby in, in Ty McGee. Ty McGee is a guy who I've, I've touted as a potential all-star and right now he's the guy that I'm holding in the highest regard for, for this league um, because he, he was really, really good at getting into the Tramps and he's a very large man as well. So he's a, a threat from that perspective. But he was also really good at freestyling and dribbling his way into the Tramps and into the island and around that area, setting up opportunities for his teammates or for himself to score. But the defense would get in the way, admittedly, or his teammates wouldn't catch the ball. But he was definitely facilitating to a degree that, that only Crosby was doing ahead of him. And he was also able to make some really interesting plays, sort of jumping into the bottom tramp and doing a little half spin in the air and laying it up so that at least you're getting some points rather than none. He was getting some really quick physical dunks, uh, which we'll talk about in a later game. My only concern, is he really an all-star? He's carrying this team right now. Is Ty McGee really an all-star? Is he really a star player? Or is he an amazing second or third option on a championship team? He just happens to be on a really bad one. That's the thing to think about with this guy. The second game of session two was the Ozone versus the Buzzsaw. The Buzzsaw, off the bat, may be the second best coach team with, with coach Hernando Planels after the Mob. I'm eating crow with both of these teams because I put Buzzsaw sixth and Mob seven, um, and then Slashers eight on my power rankings, and all three of them did, did really well on the night. Uh, but I put Wrath third and Wrath did all right. So Ozone Buzzsaw ended 60-34 for the Buzzsaw. It was a very, very physical game um, from both teams. But the Buzzsaw were using a lot of what's called wing cuts. So they were getting the ball um, around the bottom tramp, maybe behind the bottom tramp, behind the backboard, and then having guys cut off from the side tramps just straight up. They were utilizing that a lot, but they were only doing it from... One, one cut. So again, back to the mob thing, the mob would do that multiple times and give you multiple options versus the, the buzzsaw who were doing it once, but once was still effective enough against the Ozone to, to totally score on them. Um, in the first quarter, Keenan Love played really well for the Ozone at Stopper. Um, you can listen to the interview I had with him, but he played really, really well at that position, including ending the quarter with three straight blocks that just make you go, right, this guy could, could be incredible. I'm not talking three blocks and three consecutive plays. I'm talking he was tasked with stopping three different guys at the rim in the last 20 seconds of the quarter, and he did it really, really well. He then got subbed off for the entire second quarter because the Ozone are playing an interesting strategy of having him play a quarter, then Vincent Bowman, their other stopper, who's the biggest guy in the league, play play the second, the second quarter. Um... And I don't know how that's going to work for them. Keenan didn't look comfortable prior to those three blocks, but he, he was able to successfully make some stops throughout the game. Bowman, um, he made some big mistakes that, that cost his team. And in the air, despite being the biggest guy, his arms aren't getting in the way of the offensive ball. And it was a lot easier for teams for, for the, uh, the buzzsaw to score on him than maybe it was for Keenan. Um, in the second half of the game, 
Kieran Love was getting exposed defensively by a lot of scoring happening on him and he just wasn't able to keep up. The buzzsaw were, were again, cutting off the island and they were doing a similar strategy to the mob, uh, albeit with less cuts, like I'm saying, but they were still doing it effectively and, and the second best of the night. Like like I said, you had, the slashers were doing it a little bit and the wrath were trying to do it a little bit, but the buzzsaw were, were definitely the second best team at, at doing this. Um... And Keenan Love wasn't able to keep up with it. And that's not entirely on him. I want to say that that's not entirely on him. The Ozone, despite their first round pick, Brian Bell Anderson, being pointed out by the commentary team as having good perimeter defense, they let a lot of stuff through. They were not getting in the way of, of the buzzsaw on the defensive end to stop them getting into the tramps and to make Keenan Love's life a little bit easier back there. They were sort of, they were doing a really bad job of that in the second half and that ultimately is what lost them this game. Um... Just because it's hard for a stopper to keep up with everyone and you need your teammates to at least make life difficult on the defensive end on the outside and, and no one was doing that. Um, outside of that, we talked about perimeter defence for Brian Bell Anderson who was the first round pick for the Ozone. Outside of that perimeter defence, which was pretty good in the first half, um, he didn't wow me. And what Keenan Love had told me earlier this week in interview is that Brian Bell Anderson is as good as Bryce Marine is for the Lava. Now, I've said earlier, Bryce Marine didn't take over like I was expecting him to. I may be concerned about him as, as a player, but I'm not concerned. That's, that's wildly untrue, right? I, Bryce Marine did a lot of great scoring. He just didn't do what I was expecting from him in game one. Brian Bell Anderson didn't do anything near what I was hoping from him based on what I'd been told by Keenan Love and based on what I was seeing other people in the league say, which was that he is a threat. He was not a threat last night. He did some things defensively that you can only see if you're paying attention to him on that side of the floor in the first half. And then by the second half, he wasn't doing it anymore. So he's not what was advertised to me in, in game one, okay? We'll see how he plays uh, tonight, but in game one, he was not all that. Um, one other person to mention from, from the Ozone time uh, ozone side of things, I was about to say team and side of things, so time of things, um, Keith McGee, he was doing a lot of good scoring in the first quarter and the set and the fourth quarter, uh, Nate Robinson nicknamed him McBuckets and he's, he's got some of that for sure, he can definitely score, it's just he's not part of the flow of their offence, it's very much, alright we need to score, Keith go and get us a basket and then sometimes he wasn't doing that either because the buzzsaw have a, have a very good stopper of their own. They've got a very good stopper who's their stopper. Well, I believe he was their first round draft pick as well. Tyquan Scott, who he just loves that position. I think we'll talk about it more when we talk about the, the second game. But Tyquan Scott at stopper for the buzzsaw is the other. So Gage Smith is finesse. Fessel Shafat is physicality. And, and Tyquan Scott is definitely more physicality than finesse. And he, pro, he might be better than Shafat at that element of things because he took so much joy it wasn't like aggression and like ah it was like he took joy in disrupting the other team's offense making big blocks and getting in the passing lanes in the air so the ozone were trying to make passes in the air which is very common in slam ball that's what um ty mcgee was doing for the the wrath earlier on and it wasn't quite coming off but Tyquan Scott was getting very high, swatting away passes and getting the ball back out to his teammates outside the tramps and also blocking dunks and being very physical in the air. And it, that's tough to deal with. That's, we talked about it with Fessel Shafat. Um, same with Tyquan Scott. It's very tough, very tough to deal with. Um, the difference between them and the mob, because again, the buzzsaw were making these cuts. The difference between them is the number of cuts. 
They're maybe doing one, maybe doing two. The bus or, or the, the mob are minimum doing two, possibly doing three per possession. They're just moving way more. Um, like I say, Taekwon loves stopping the ball, but the Ozone were also struggling to get any sort of height against him. I don't know if that's just he was getting very high defensively, or his timing was great, or the Ozone were just struggling offensively. But Taekwon Scott's big, he's physical, and he, he plays well. And the other guy from the team that I want to point out is Jamal Barnes Jr. He was a guy, I can't remember if I said it in my season preview, but I was definitely thinking it earlier on. He's a potential all-star. He wasn't doing that much in these two games that the, the Buzzsaw played last night, but he was definitely, the way I've put it down, he was a nasty piece of work at the rim. Some of his dunks were were disgusting on, on the Ozone um, and then on the Wrath later on. And yeah, keep an eye on Jamal Barnes Jr. He's, 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 he's going to be a physical threat for sure. Um, the final game of the night was the, the winners of the previous two from this session. So it was the Wrath versus the Buzzsaw. And that ultimately ended 32-44. to 44. And that doesn't tell the story of how, how poor the offense was in the first half. Um, very low scoring. First quarter ended 3-11 to 11, uh, in favor of the Buzzsaw. And it was, it was poor offense, but it was also really good defense, I think. Both of these teams were really physical. Um, but the biggest, the biggest takeaway from the offensive end was that the teams were just making some really poor passes. Okay, Ty McGee was, was still showing an ability to attack the rim. And he was still showing an ability to get into the tramps and, and facilitate. But his teammates just weren't able to make plays off that. Um, and they looked their best, as the coaching staff said, uh, sorry, as the commentary team said, when they shredded the playbook and just let McGee play on his own. Their best stretch of play came in the third quarter uh, when McGee was just running straight to the basket and using his size to make quick dunks and not worrying about trying to set up his teammates or, or like I was talking about earlier, use those skills to his advantage. If he had someone like maybe a, a Jamal Barnes Jr. on his team, you could play off of him and then Ty McGee's ability to get in there and distribute would be better. But the fact that he is your best distribution player and he's being asked to he's your best distribution player but it also seems like he might be your best scoring threat isn't isn't wonderful Stephen julian the third did okay and he was my other uh pick from this team to be a potential all-star um but he wasn't playing the handler role he was playing more of a gunner position and he wasn't he wasn't making the most of ty mcgee's facilitation and that let the team down but not just Stephen julian the third the whole team wasn't able to do that okay ty mcgee still really impressive in and around the tramps but the Wrath can't make the most of that. And that's why I say, is he an all-star or is he just a guy who needs to get off of this team and be put in a better situation? We shall see. Maybe he just needs more help. Um, guys who are understand how to make cuts. Or maybe he's been coached really well and the team's just not caught up with him yet. Uh, I really like Nate Robinson's call. It was... I'm going to feel weird saying this, but I'm saying it anyway because I I, I think this is... Coming from Nate Robinson, right, 11-year NBA pro basketball vet, a smaller guy who's really good at dunking. He said this in the fourth quarter about Ty McGee. He's one of the toughest light-skinned dudes I ever see. I've ever seen, right? He was just like, he was like, Ty McGee is nasty. He's a nasty man. And he was. He was doing some really aggressive dunks. But again, he, he had a little bit of finesse. He was getting into tramps. He just wasn't able to to score off it every time and his teammates weren't helping because there was a lack of movement around him, okay? 
really, really good, really good. For, for him, the team, not so much, okay? I was right to call Darian Slade, who is one of their backup uh, guys, a defensive threat. He had a massive hit on Jamal Barnes Jr. in the third quarter that took him out for possibly the rest of the game. Um, really, really good from Darian Slade. They lost this game, and, and Coach Planels was quick to point that out online when the slam ball account was touting uh, the success of Darian Slade's tackle, but he can still make those plays, and, and that's what I want to see from him in, in the open floor as a defensive disruptor. When it came down to it, in the last minute and a half of play, we talked earlier about the make it miss it element of of uh, make it take it element of face offs in the last last quarter. The Wrath preseason, my biggest concern with them is I don't see them talking about the fact they're doing this sport on their social media. Outside of Ty McGee, no one else on the team is really going, hey, I play slam ball, here's highlights, here's photos of me with the team, here's us bonding, right? Ty McGee was the one guy that was doing that. Shock and awe, he's the guy who looks the most complete slam ball player on this team. And in the last minute and a half, the wrath just looked like they didn't, they weren't willing to fight for it. And is that a lack of heart for the game? which should be a big concern going forward. They're, they've won a game, lost a game, or are they just going to start to lose more and more because they're not willing to do it? Or was that they'd already played a game, this game was very physical and they weren't able to score in the first half very much and maybe they were just tired and thought, do you know what, we'll fight another day. I think it's probably the former rather than the latter, but minimum, I just want to see more heart from these guys. Okay. Buzzsaw maintained their lead by cutting consistently, looking for guys filling the lanes in and around the tramps and making the right play on those those things, right? And that's what you like to see from the buzzsaw. It was similar in that there was, there was no standout offensive player for them. It was a lot more about distributing the ball like the mob. But Jamal Barnes Jr. was good in that role of scorer and Tyquan Scott was still very aggressive defensively. The one concern that we'll talk about in a moment both those guys end up going out with injuries. Similarly, the Wraths uh, starting stopper, who I know that Slamball uh, Nation on Inst on uh, Twitter, Slamball Nation was being very or Slamball Network, sorry, they were very, they were very high on Christian Grey in game one, and by game two, he he like has damaged his ankle and was being taken off the floor. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. He was he was sort of. He's sorry, they're starting gunner, not they're starting stopper, but he can play stopper minutes. And I think that's where he, he ended up injuring his ankle a little bit. But their starting stopper in Sean Smith, he also got quite tired by the second half of the game. And that's what let down the, the wrath as well in that last two minutes where they weren't able to stop anything at the rim. And it was a combination of lack of effort and also Sean Smith's just been taking hits for two straight games. And we talked about that. If you're a stopper who is taking hits constantly, it can be a lot harder to get up there and make blocks when it comes to the fourth quarter versus the first. And that's why I think a finesse game like Gage Smith's works out quite well because it disrupts offense without having to give up too much of your body throughout the game uh, and saving it for when it matters most. So um, the Wrath disappointed me in game two, but I still think, I mean, they won a game on the night and so automatically I think they have to be considered a top four team. Um... Where do I put them power rankings wise? Well, um, I need to very quickly. I mentioned Slam Ball Network, and they put up a very quick, um, a very very quick. Here are our picks for, uh, for a uh, uh, power rankings right now. 
And I kind of really agreed with most of it, right? So their quick one was they said, Mob are number one, Buzzsaw two, Wrath three, Griffins four, Slashers five, Lava six, Ozone seven, Rumble eight. My movement with that is that I think I think the top three are correct. I think Mob is definitely head and shoulders above everyone. The Buzzsaw are the next best thing in terms of coaching. And the Wrath, if they can put it all together around McGee, will be very good. But I think they could easily be flipped with the Lava. And I think the Lava should maybe be three or four and you bump every other team down one. Um, Ozone and Rumble obviously were, were very disappointing. I think maybe Ozone goes lower than the Rumble. Um, because you can you can change a defense you can change an offensive strategy for the rumble and not have your stopper come up, but you can't change perimeter defensive weaknesses as fast, right? Um, but regardless, I think maybe Mob Buzz saw Lava. I still think they could be really good. They just didn't win last night, and then Wrath Griffins Slashers uh, Ozone Rumble, and that's maybe doing the Slashers a disservice. But we'll we'll have to see. Um, those were the games. What are our biggest takeaways of the night? First of all. Who are the mobs competition, right? Maybe the Wrath, they're physical. If Ty McGee can get on the same page as teammates, that's a really dangerous like distribution option. Um, but there is concern now with that ankle injury potentially to Christian Grey. The Buzzsaw, they're very well coached in how to cut around the tramps, but not nearly as much as the Buzz uh, as the mob are, sorry. They're really consistent and they have an excited stopper. So defensively, they're they're pretty solid. Will that be enough to stop the mob? Who are, who are adept at cutting, can Taekwon Scott uh, maintain that bounce in order to get up there? Can he even play? Because he also went out with, uh, with an injury to what looked like his knee. Um, but they might struggle later in games if they are having to rely on him quite a lot. No team can match the mob in terms of number of cutters. And that's, that's going to be the first thing to notice throughout this season. If they're going to run rampant, it's going to be hard to see why teams shouldn't just follow that model of, of coaching multiple multiple cuts. But if anything, I think that what we have to look at from this first night of mob action and them taking over the league is how quickly that team's adapted and, and how good of a coach Brendan Kirsch must be because all of these guys are new. Some of them newer than others because some of them were part of the earlier iterations of training squads, but all of these guys are new. And with the mob... They said it on commentary. It looks like they've been playing since they were teenagers together. They look very, very comfortable in their offensive sets and their movement. And you just aren't seeing that from other teams. And I don't know... I don't know, and we don't know, if other teams are going to be able to catch up with that, if they're going to find a way to disrupt it, if maybe the league goes, right, this is too much. You can't have all of this offensive firepower and Gage Smith defensively. So we're we're giving him to the wrath, and you can have Christian Grey, who's injured, and then we'll... You know, that... The league's very focused on parity, and I don't know if they're going to do things like that midway through the season, but if we see, you know, another season next year, or as the league wants to do, which is potentially do multiple uh, of these, like, series a year, um, then I wouldn't be surprised if they moved something like that around. Uh, we shall see. I mentioned injury, so Christian Grey on the Wrath, he seemed to injure his ankle, um, James uh, Jamal Barnes Jr. He got a big hit from uh, from uh, Darian Slade in the third quarter of that game against the Wrath, and uh, he went out for a bit. I don't know if he came back to the game. I can't remember in all honesty. Taekwon Scott, his teammate, he went down with a knee injury, and Connor Hollenbeck in the uh, the Griffins game from earlier in the night, he actually went out 
uh, after taking an elbow in the stopper position um, with the first blood sub of a slam ball. So he had to come out of the game to get that scene to possibly concussion protocols for him. I am going to inquire with the league later today as I'm recording this and just sort of see can I get an update on these four guys and what what's happening with them in terms of are they healthy. Uh, the league has got a lot of things in place uh, health and safety protocols wise to ensure these guys stay good and so I think it, it is a no-brainer that they should be able to tell me if not broadcast it on social media in terms of this is an update on these guys because we saw it in the games last night and I'll say to everyone who's like wow that's a lot of injuries and this must be a really injury prone league and this is a really dangerous sport um, a lot of these injuries were just knocks in the air uh, the the knee thing might just be a, a dead leg as we call it over here in Scotland we might just have got a little it might have been a little bit of a stinger um, and the ankle thing for Christian Grey, I think he just landed awkwardly on the trampolines, and that's not anyone's fault, uh, aside from, you know, they were talking about it on commentary all night, you need to land flat rather than land on your feet, and I don't know if he was necessarily doing that in that situation, so I'll try and get updates for these, if the league tells me, even if they don't tell anyone else, it'll be on my social media, at Quantum Roberts. Players that I want to take note of as we go throughout the rest of the season from, from all these games, Gage Smith of the mob, I've obviously sung his praises, really good defensively, really good as a part of the offence for his team. Tony Crosby the second and Slashers, more than just a gimmick, Mighty Mouse is here and you best believe I might be getting a Tony Crosby 1 jersey. Crosby 1 in that purple, Slashers jersey is really, all the jerseys, because I wasn't, I, this is my honesty slam ball fans, I hated pretty much all of them. I was looking at old school jerseys and I thought these are simple and they're pretty and I like them and these new ones are doing a bit much. The Griffins one was clean, the Rumble one was okay, but uh, the, the Mob one was going on me. But they were starting to grow on me over time and when they're on the floor, it just fits. They actually look a lot better on the floor than they do in the promo pictures and so I'm far less concerned about that than I was two days ago, okay? But Tony Crosby second slashers jersey, maybe, maybe get me one of those. Adam Flash Stanford for the Griffins, we talked a little bit about his offensive power as just a guy that was going to the basket. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see if that translates fully, but you know, I liked him preseason, I like him now. Keenan Love defensively for the Ozone. Um, did he start to struggle because he was taking out the game? If you let him play the full, full 20 minutes, or at least most of it, rather than having to flip-flop between him and Vincent Bowman, does he play better? We shall see. Jamal Barnes Jr. of the Buzzsaw. Again, we talked about that potential injury, but he was, like Flash Stanford, doing a lot of great stuff in the air. Tyquan Scott for the Buzzsaw as well. Possibly the most physical stopper, doing really well in that position. But again, that knee injury, we have to be concerned. And then finally, Ty McGee, possibly the best player on the worst team. Uh, definitely the best player on the team that's that's concerning. Um, but just because he's that good, it makes everyone a little bit more confident in their abilities to, to be a team in this league. And so you can't call them the worst team, but you can call them a team that's not gelling yet. So that's, that's players to look for, that's injuries, and that's the biggest takeaway from night one. Night two, tonight... We've got four teams in action. Instead of doing all eight teams, it's now set to four teams per night. We've got Rumble versus Wrath. So this is a second opportunity for the Rumble to show their their uh, stopper, their their unique stopper strategy of bringing them up and making them a focal point in the offense, but also to show their size. Are they able to, to, to use that effectively or will they falter? Is Ty McGee good on a bad team or good because he's on a bad team? Um, we shall see that. How does playing two games in a row the night before affect the Wrath tonight? Because that's the only team that is uh, that is in that situation. Because the other game is the Ozone and Lava, both of whom lost their first game, so didn't play a second. So it's just the Wrath we're looking for from that. 
Um, with Ozone versus Lava, it's two specific positional things. At Gunner, it's Brian Bell Anderson versus Bryce Marine. Neither jumped out to me, but out of the two of them, Bryce Marine's the guy who you can see being a big scorer. At minimum, he can score a lot. Uh, by cutting off his teammates. Brian Bell Anderson, you didn't show me anything offensively. You brought some defense, but you didn't keep it up all game. That was one of those things. This is one of those matchups I was really excited for preseason. And now I'm thinking, how good is it really going to be? And then Keenan Love versus Fessel Shafat at Stopper. Obviously, they're not going head-to-head, but we'll look at how they do in terms of, of blocking stats and um, disrupting the other team's offense. So, that's a look ahead to tonight's games very quickly. We will obviously have a full review of last night's action with the main talking points tomorrow, like we've just done today. But thank you for checking out this first uh, this first game review for the 2023 season. I've had a lot of fun talking about it. I had a lot of fun watching it. I think, uh, you know, if I had to have favourite players right now, I'd get a Gage Smith jersey, get a Tony Crosby the second jersey, I'd get a Ty McGee jersey. I think this league is in good hands. We just need everyone to get a little bit more comfortable. I'm already excited for it. I'm already comfortable in this space. Hosting Bounce Off number one podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We will see you tomorrow with another episode. Everyone enjoy some Slam Ball action.